You can either work in the business or you can work on the business. They have the knowledge and skill to be successful. Yesterday is gone and tomorrow has yet to come. Dive all in on the next chapter of your life. Welcome to the ProServe Podcast with Collective 54, a podcast for leaders of thriving boutique professional services firms. For those that are not familiar with us, Collective 54 is the first mastermind community dedicated exclusively to the needs of leaders of thriving boutique pro-serve firms. My name's Greg Alexander. I'm the founder, and I'll be your host today. On this episode, we're going to talk about geography. I know that's a weird subject. You probably weren't anticipating that. However, strategy in a boutique pro-serve firm is where to play and how to win. And since our community is made up of boutiques, many of them choose geographies that they can dominate, and it's a very effective strategy. And we've got a great example of that today, middle America, if you will. And uh, we've got a great role model to discuss with us how he is factoring geography into his strategy and how he is uh, trying to dominate middle America, if you will. His name is, and I'm going to do my best here, my man, Ashuk Sinavaned. How'd I do? Close. Uh, that's probably a six out of ten. Oh, sorry about. It's a shok Sivanand. A shok. Sivanand. Sivanand. Okay. Sorry about that. I tell you what, I gave you permission to call me Joe Smith for the rest of the call. <laughs> we can we can get even that way. So um, please introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about your firm. Yeah, sure thing. So I started Integral about five years ago. And what we do is help companies with transforming into technology companies. And we do that by building software products with them and using techniques like pair programming, where it's very much like an apprentice style of teaching, learning, almost like a pilot and a co-pilot, where the companies that are looking to really transition their operations to being more tech enabled can do it at a very grassroots level in service of a strategy that most companies have today of wanting to become more like technology companies, the Fords of the world, trying to go after the Teslas of the world, if you will. Yep. Okay. Very good. So I was drawn to your story because to simplify strategy, which I'm dramatically oversimplifying, where to play and how to win. Where to play can mean many things, market segments, industry verticals, etc. But one of the components is geography. And you have an interesting story on your take in geography and and how you're focused on the automobile industry. And as I understand it, middle America, and we'll talk about what that means, and in particular, smaller cities. So just by way of introduction, would you mind explaining that part of your strategic approach? Yeah, sure thing. So we're based out of Detroit, Michigan, and that's where I founded the company. A little short history here. I moved to Detroit for what was meant to be a six month engagement with my last employer. And I was supposed to start their local practice here and go back to my hometown of Toronto. There was some reading between the lines about a promotion and everything that was waiting for me at a company that was going public. One thing that I did not factor into my spreadsheet was that I would really like living here. And um, I remember moving into this apartment downtown Detroit, opening the windows all the way and looking out at the street and realizing this was never part of your spreadsheet and we're going to have to go back and address that. <laughs> and uh, 
this was in 2016 and Detroit is, you hear this in the news a lot about the revival story. And I think it's true of not just um, Detroit and the auto industry, but can be said about a lot about middle America in many ways. It's, it's folks that you don't see a lot in the news when it comes to up and coming um, technologies or up and coming services and a butt of jokes in some cases. And moving here, I realized that there's a lot of um, myth busting for myself and a lot of invalidation of assumptions that I had coming in here. And that there's a lot of smart people here trying to do a lot of cool things with much more of a strong sense of community uh, compared to a sense of competitiveness mm. that I was used to in the big cities. And that's something that stood out to me. And then I've got a little bit more of a history in the auto industry as well that um, made these really strong personal reasons for me to jump in and try doing this. If you wouldn't mind, I'd love to hear of those personal reasons and your history in the automobile industry. Yeah, sure thing. So one of my first real jobs was as a forklift driver in a manufacturing plant. And um, it was a uh, night shift in uh, East Hamilton in Canada. And Hamilton is a manufacturing town, not too dissimilar from Detroit. It was growing faster than Toronto was at a time when Detroit was growing faster than New York. And as manufacturing got outsourced and offshore, the city's kind of gone the different tales that, that we know about now. And so the east side of the city is like many cities, the rougher part. And I was an international student. And so let's just say I learned a lot that summer. And <laughs> one of the things when it comes to sort of my professional career was just um, getting to apply the systems thinking that most electrical engineers have to do, kind of watching electrons move through a circuit. I was able to see kind of how production was happening here and got to learn things like lean principles um, in terms of how as a forklift driver, I could really bring the most customer value by making sure that all the different parts of the lines were not blocked or starved and so forth. And then went on to work at GM at uh, a plant in Southern Ontario where they make the Chevrolet Equinox and now the GMC Terrain, I believe. And it was actually a half Japanese, half American plant. So Suzuki owned half the plant and General Motors the other half. Hmm. And we had um, like the movie, Mr. Mom, we had like white shirts, blue pants, I had my name embroidered. And it was very different from most uh, car factories that you'd see. And there was definitely a very strong Japanese influence to, to how the production was done. Um, I haven't fact-checked this, but I've been told by a few people that it was the most efficient GM plant. And a lot of folks kind of chalk that up or rationalize it to the, to the kind of Japanese influence. I, I shut the line down for eight minutes one time. And... At the time, like gas prices were really high and these SUVs are selling like hotcakes. And um, I thought I was going to lose my job the next day. And I called in the general manager, kind of conducted what I now know as the five whys exercise. Mm. And they made a process improvement right there and then with all the right people in the room, understood the root cause of, of how this was allowed to happen, where, where an intern could shut the line down for eight minutes. And uh, he, instead of firing me, he thanked me for my transparency. And I went on much more confident. And uh, got to learn a lot more about the about lean. And um, so a couple of things that have happened since then. Number one, uh, this was mid-2000s. I was really bummed that all the software engineering talent was put on building and manufacturing the cars more efficiently. And I couldn't work on the vehicle itself and make it a more compelling vehicle to the consumer. Mm. And, um, and then flash forward about 10 years, I was working at a company called Pivotal Labs, 
And um, number one, they had taken a lot of these lean principles that had originated for building factories more efficiently into running software teams with more humanity and ultimately getting more value to their customers. So a lot of it clicked for me. I didn't understand a lot of the jargon, but the first principles were very obvious because it, it was all borrowed directly from, from the Toyota production system and lean. And the second thing is around 2015 was when that thing changed where consumer reports said that more people are buying cars based on the technology in there yeah. compared to horsepower and torque, which were the, the traditional selling factors, right? And that was also the time that I was doing this little thing in Detroit. So the third part of the story was that I had, I had, I had, you know, be careful what you wish for type of thing where I wanted to really be part of a compelling value proposition of the vehicle versus being hidden in the back room. And that was a time when, um, when Detroit was really investing in becoming more of a technology town, companies like Ford were making big investments and um and and i was at the you know you could call it right place right time for something that i'd hoped for 10 years prior understanding a lot of those first principles that somewhat ironically the auto industry wanted to move their technology teams to working more like their manufacturing teams believe it or not in terms of getting the most efficiency and the best customer value out but looking to silicon valley to teach them even though a lot of it had originated in, in middle america in the first place Man, I tell you what, that is an incredible story from driving a forklift on the midnight shift to founding a software company uh, and embracing a new small city. Hats off to you. Mad respect for your courage and your journey, and thanks for sharing it. Um, all right, well, let's talk about this concept of geography. So you just laid out what you focused on, and why does the opportunity exist, and how have you been able to I guess, walk away from the temptation of being the next hotshot in Silicon Valley. Yeah, I think some of it is really values driven. And I know that um, you talk about EOS. I was lucky to have found EOS um, multiple years ago. And we always knew we'd, wa we'd read the Netflix culture deck yeah. and said, hey, we got, we got to build one of our own decks this way. And I'd show up to the office um, on a Sunday and say, okay, today we're going to do culture and I'm going to write the culture down today. And I'd go home with an empty whiteboard and just having ordered a lot of Uber Eats. EOS really helped us yeah. use a framework to arrive at the values. And I think the values that are really important to how we build software, our values are humility, accountability, and kindness. And kindness is the one that stands out a lot to both our talent base as well as our customer base, because they both talk about, hey, this is something that's often forgotten. Um, it's something that's often overlooked because we need to make a quarterly deadline or we need to hit a milestone. And that's the first one to, to get out the door. Accountability is oftentimes kind of front and center. And I think the values that what, what kept me here in Detroit um, very much aligned with how I think software should be built. Um, we're building these code bases not to get one big launch out, but a long-term iterative process. And we got to think of the long-term and we got to think of the team that we're building it in the long term, uh, the people that we're building it for. And so taking the, the humanness out of it, taking the kindness out of it really makes it a very short term prerogative. Mm. And I think um, I, I haven't fully understood the causation around it, but there's definitely a huge correlation between finding folks who can act with those kind of values at the same time, deliver, show up, hold each other accountable. Kindness isn't the same thing as niceness. It doesn't mean we're 
we're not, we're not we're shying away from having difficult conversations. It means we're really understanding that the other person I'm trying to problem solve with here is a human too. And uh, whether it's a customer, whether it's an end user that we're trying to build for and have that rooted back in. And for some reason, it's been a lot easier to find um, to find that kind of talent in middle America compared to the cities on the coasts or, or big cities like Toronto. And um, I think the customers also start to see that mm. where when they engage with us, they see that come through in the engagements and every interaction and the meetings and the weekly cadence where as much as we want to be service oriented, that we do show up and we push back and um, we do point out some potential flaws in the way they're thinking and offer them better opportunities as opposed to falling in line just because they're the customer and the mm. customer's always right. And, um, and I think that's, that's something that, you know, exists both on the supply and demand side around here. And, um, and interestingly, there's folks, especially since the pandemic has hit us, folks have kind of moved all over the place and we've become more of a, a hybrid company, hybrid in the sense that we hire folks across the country and we come together for very specific in-person engagements or in-person workshops or conferences. And um, folks on the coast too, um, tend to want to come work in this kind of Midwestern vibe, if you call it. Um, and, and, you know, more objectively, the values that are that are listed on our careers page, uh, despite being based out of California or New York City, because um, they find that the employment opportunities that they have available to them there don't necessarily align with who they have. And I think as, you know, I'm not the first one to say it on here, I'm sure, is that if you can find a value alignment with your colleagues and with your clients, um, a lot of the other stuff, um, like salaries and stuff no longer are top of mind. You just have to pay market, make sure you're not ripping anyone off. And folks feel like a stronger sense of purpose and community and working together and building these, building these products together, solving these problems together. So I think that's something that I haven't fully been able to get into a spreadsheet, but it's a, it's a hypothesis that seems to keep paying off. Yeah. So you answered one of my questions, which was, you know, COVID now makes everybody remote or hybrid. So is geography still as relevant as it once was? It seems like it still is being applied slightly differently. The other side of the geography question and back to strategy, where to play, how to win, and geography is part of where to play, is back in the day, not too long ago, the clients at times would prefer local providers for a whole variety of reasons. Um, you know, and I have read about what Ford Motor Company and the other great companies in Detroit are trying to do to revitalize Detroit, and I admire them for doing that. But now it's post-COVID, you know, is that, does the, do the clients still want to do business with local providers, or is it now geographically agnostic? I think geographically, you still have to be willing to show up. Okay. And we're seeing different companies come back to the office in different ways. Um, GM is doing it a slightly different way than maybe I would, where they're saying, hey, twice a week, three times a week, you got to come into the office. And that's one way to go about it. I've noticed at Ford, they seem to be a little bit more specific about what type of interactions they prescribe for in-person interactions. So they're like, hey, we do quarterly plannings, we do workshops, I'd like for you to come in so we can do that on a whiteboard versus trying to figure out how to do it over Zoom. But once you know what the work is and when it's due and who your stakeholders are and why we're doing it and everything else, the strategy part is all understood and we're aligned and we, we feel like there's trust between the team, then go do it wherever you need to do it when you put your heads down and get the execution done. And so 
we were always huge proponents of in-person. Um, the, the fact that we were one of the catch 22s about being in a city like Detroit is that we, there's a lot of opportunity, but there isn't necessarily the talent base that you need mm. to meet the demand of that opportunity. And so going hybrid allowed us to expand to a larger mm. talent base. Uh, at the same time, we set expectations pretty early with our folks that, hey, you're going to be commuting way less than your last job, but you're going to be traveling a little bit more. And we make sure that every time we start a new engagement, that we we go out of our way and make sure that the client's willing to come in person and do it as well. And we fly in from wherever. So I think um, in terms of your question, I noticed that there are some other firms who are still maybe stuck in that convenient space of just after the pandemic hit where no one had to travel travel costs were lower. There was a lot more convenience to it. And I don't necessarily think that convenience outweighs the community that you can build with those in-person interactions, especially when you're trying to build trust with a new teammate or with a new client where that trust goes a long way six weeks later when inevitably you're going to have some friction. Do you earn the benefit of doubt um, with the client where they will get into problem-solving mode versus people-solving mode? Those are all things that we've noticed go right away when when we spend that time to show up in person. And, you know, again, I don't want to speak for Midwesterners being somewhat of an implant here, but I do sense that there's a little bit more of a Midwestern value of showing up to someone's house, breaking bread with someone and building those trusted relationships before really getting down to ROI and the bottom line. And so it's maybe a little bit more metaphorical in terms of does the geography still matter? I think they, the Midwest, the Midwestern values is still very much valued yeah, here, I agree. whether you're local or not. Yeah, well said. Well, listen, we're we're at our time window here. I could, I could talk to you about this forever, but you know, just to put an exclamation point on that last statement, we're in the service business, so relationships matter, and relationships happen when you get face to face. Maybe it's happening differently now. Maybe it's not every day, but it it does matter. So I think for the folks that are listening to this boutique service rooms, you have an opportunity to differentiate there, you know, and and because sometimes big companies like the big auto companies, they do business with smaller firms because of that relationship factor. I mean, who wants to be just another client of Accenture, whereas they can be you know, your most important client kind of concept. So try to take advantage of geography when you can. Well, listen, on behalf of the membership, just wanted to thank you publicly for being here. I'm really looking forward to the Friday Q&A session with the members. I know they're going to have a ton of questions on and how you learned learned the Toyota production system and the five whys off of a forklift and, <laughs> and how that made its way to Detroit. You often don't hear people say, I live in Detroit and love it. And that's contrarian by itself but and we, and we love to hear all about that and you know we're um now that it's post covid we at collective 54 are starting to do some event events so when the weather gets warmer i'm going to call you and say hey i'm going to get 10 12 collective 54s i'm going to come see you in detroit and want you to show us around the city sound like fun hey that sounds great i look forward to it yeah awesome all right all right listeners let me give you a couple of uh calls to action so if you're a member, be sure to attend the Friday Q&A se- session um, regarding geography here and with the Shook. A um, couple of tools I want to draw your attention to. So in the uh, Boutique Companion course, that's the e-learning modules built around the Boutique framework, um, there's a uh, strategy template that you can download, and it talks a little bit more about um, geography. We also just wrote an EOS slash Collective 54 integration plan. Got a lot of members that run EOS. We run our firm on EOS. We love it. 
Um, we think it does need to be customized to be relevant to professional services. So if you're an EO, EOS shop and you want to learn more about that, uh, go to the Resource Center and download that. If you're not a member and you want to be, because you want to meet really cool people like you did today, go to collective54.com, fill out the Contact Us form, and somebody will get in contact with you. If you're not ready to be a member, but you want to, you want some more uh, outstanding content like this podcast, subscribe to Collective 54 Insights. And uh, you'll get three things. Monday, a blog. Wednesday, a podcast. And Friday, a chart. Okay, with that, thanks for listening. And until next time, best of luck. Best of luck.